I've got the privilege tonight to keep you guys awake. I know Sunday nights can be rough, especially when you sit out there. You know, the kids, they, they, get, pretty, they get pretty rowdy. So starting verse number 16, we read, Moreover, Manasseh shed innocent blood very much till he had filled Jerusalem from one end of, to the other, beside the sin wherewith he made Judah to sin, in doing that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the title of my sermon this morning is Shedding Innocent Blood. So I want to talk to you tonight about this, the, the subject of abortion. Now, some people say, you know what, you're a man, you, you got no right talking about abortion, and uh, th- they don't believe that. That's, that's kind of like a cop-out type of just response, because I'm going I'm to talk about some things that certain women say that they, they don't want nothing to do with them. So even though they're women, they say, no, only women can talk about it, but they don't even want to hear the opinion of some women that, that they don't like. But uh, my experience with abortion is, I, I've never really, I don't know anybody that's had one, and um, the only thing I could remember, I remember when I was in a university, and um, there was two girls sitting next to me, and I kind of overheard their conversation. And I'll talk about that a little bit more. And um, I didn't really know them very much. I was only there with them during that summer, uh, summer like, scholarship program. But one of them was talking about getting an abortion. And the other instance was when my wife was working. That was after, after that, probably like a year or two after that. My wife was working. She was praying with our son. And her coworkers had the gall to tell her she should get an abortion. So if, if they can tell my wife that she should get an abortion, that pretty much gives me the right to talk about it. So people can have that. Like, I, I kind of didn't get into that conversation with those girls because I didn't really know them. So I kind of just overheard the conversation. I didn't want to butt into the conversation. Even though now I feel like maybe I should have said something as I was studying for the sermon, looking up abortions and learning about it, I kind of feel like, you know, maybe I should have said something. I don't know if they would have listened to me. They, they were kind of the ones where they were kind of more like feminist style and they, they probably wouldn't listen to me. But still, knowing what I, what I learned, I'd like, I feel like I should have said something. So... So that somebody to say, me, you're a man, you have no reason to talk about it. No, I do have a reason to talk about it. So uh, what what got my attention or what inspired this sermon is, so back in January 6th, we know we have the storm in the Capitol, the worst thing that ever happened in the entire world. And uh, as as um, as that was happening, it was kind of shocking. They didn't really do anything. You know, they broke into the building. They broke a couple of doors. They broke some windows. Like, how was that the worst thing? As we saw throughout the summer, neighborhoods being burned down, like cops being killed. A lot, a lot more worse things were happening before before that thing on January 6th. Nothing really happened out of it, so I'm not saying it was something really, really great. But what it did show us is that the FBI, the CIA, they can find a lot of people a lot faster than they say they can. So whenever they say they can't find somebody, now we know all they can find. They can find them pretty, pretty fast. So a couple months after that, say a couple weeks ago, I overheard people still talking about that, saying, describing that event as the worst thing in the world, like we should be ashamed, like what are other countries going to think about us? And as I was hearing that, I was reading through this chapter of, um, of uh, Second Kings and kind of got got to this and like, is that really the worst thing? Like, should we be ashamed of that more than abortion though? Like, three thousand babies getting killed every day. Like, that's more more to be ashamed of than a bunch of people just breaking windows, breaking doors. That's, so that's where I came to. So there in Second Kings chapter twenty one, let's look at uh, Manasseh. Manasseh was one of the most wickedest kings in the nation of Israel and Judah. He was probably one of the worst in Judah, and he knew he had the longest, one of the longest reigns. And there in chapter 1 we read, or verse 1, it says, Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 50 and 5 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Hezebah. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And after the abominations of the heathen, whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. For he built up again the high places which Hezekiah his father had destroyed. And he reared up altars for Baal and, and made grove, as did Ahab the king of Israel, and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. So we see he was a very young king, and you would say, you know what, I mean, you'd say automatically, you know, that's pretty young. That's probably why he was wicked, because he was 12 years old. But later on, we know Josiah was 8 years old, and he was a he was a good king. But I just think of that age, you know, kids when they're 11, 12, 13, think back of when you were that age. I think my son's that age. 
And uh, there's a saying when you when we were younger, like in Mexico, you you thought you could do everything. You're like you don't even know how to wipe yourself. You can't do anything. So when you're that age, you think you can do whatever you want to. And I know my son too. Like I can't even trust him to take his own bath. Like go wash your head. Like I see, wash your head again. When when the kids are that young, you know, brush your teeth. The, so you you look at that age range. You know what? Like if I could go back in time, like you think of how you were that age. If I could go back in time, I probably wouldn't make it back because I wasn't very good. So I'd probably slap myself straight out of out of existence. So I'm not just picking on him. I wasn't I wasn't very that good in that age. So you look at that age and you think, you know, why why was he so wicked? And if you turn a couple pages back, turn over to chapter 16, because he wasn't alive during the time of his grandfather. But in chapter 16, verse 2, it says, 20 years old was Ahaz when he began to reign. And he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem and did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord his God, like David his father. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, yea, and made his son to pass through the fire according to the abomination of the heathen, whom the Lord cast out from before the children of Israel. And he sacrificed and burnt incense in the high places and on the hills under every tree. So we see his grandfather was wicked. He was one of the wicked kings of Judah. Even though his father was righteous, his father was one of the most, more godly kings in the kingdom, we see his father was wicked. So even though he, did, he probably didn't live around the same time that, that he reigned, but I'm sure he heard about him. I'm sure he knew he could see through the history. I'm sure they had, they had books and records of who they were, and he was able to, to know what that was. And we know that grandfathers do have a lot of influence. You think of your kids and, you know, they're, you, they're, you have the grandpa. So you could, you could, how you know now, like how the relationship we have with our, with our parents, grandparents, we know how that could be a, a, a good influence, your grandparents. And if you turn over to Leviticus chapter 18, I'm going to read you some verses, because this, this phrase here of he made his sons pass through the fire, you know, shedding innocent blood, putting your kids through the fire as a, as a sacrifice to Molech, that came from Leviticus chapter 18. In 2 Kings 33, 9, I'm going to read for you. It says, Manasseh made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to err, and to do worse than the heathen whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. And the Lord spake to Manasseh and to his people, but they would not hearken. So we know that what he did, because he told the people not to follow the heathen, not to follow their ways. And we see in, in 2 Chronicles 39, a parallel passage, that he did worse than the heathen. Not only did he follow them, but he did worse. And we see that today, like comparing about how society is today, it's, it's getting worse and worse, where we get more technologically advanced and we learn more, but it doesn't seem like we're getting better. We're getting, we're actually getting worse. And in 2 Kings 24, the Lord said unto his bands, the Chaldeans, and the bands of Syrians, and the bands of the Moabites, and the bands of the children of Ammon, and sent them against Judah to destroy it, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by his servant the prophets. So what he told Manasseh came to pass. He told them, you know what, because of your sin, we're going to destroy Judah. And all that came because of that sin that he did. You know, having the children pass through the fires of, uh, of Molech. And verse 3, it says, Surely the command of the Lord came this upon a Judah, to remove them out of his sight, for the sins of Manasseh, according to all that he did, and also for the innocent blood that he shed. For he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, which the Lord could not pardon. So, protecting the innocent is something that we should be striving for. You can't just let that go and think that it's going to be okay and that nothing's going to happen. We know, we have the record here in the Bible that God does care about that. And he brings grievous punishment over people that don't, don't take care of that. So it's, it's, uh, it, it's kind of hypocritical of us if we say, you know what, it's, it's okay. We're not, that's, they, they, they believe their own thing. We have to stand up for, we have to stand in the gap. We have to, we have to stand up for the innocent because that's, that's what God would want. Like we are children of God. In Leviticus 18, we know this chapter is, it's a famous chapter about the different laws and, and, uh, about, about sexual, uh, immorality. And this phrase in verse number 21, you see, and thou shalt not let any of thy seed pass through the fire to Molech, 
neither shalt thou profane the name of thy God. I am the Lord. So here in Leviticus 18, a famous chapter dealing with all the different uh, different sexual sins that, that they were forbidden to do because that's what the heathen were doing. And right in between that we have this of not let, having your seed pass through the fire, not letting your children or sacrificing your children to Molech. And there's, if you look that up as far as like ancient ways that people sacrifice to these gods, there's, there's different ones. Some are, uh, there were these, uh, statues of steel or, or, or iron and they would, they would fill it almost like a grill. You know, you, you put charcoal in a grill, it heats up and they would have hands and people would lay their kids on that hand. So imagine, I, I use that as an example of people when they looked, you know, the old God in the Old Testament, he was mean. Look at all those things, all the people he killed. And I'm like, you know what these people were doing? They were sacrificing their kids. Like, what if you saw your neighbor just putting a baby on a grill? Were you not going to say anything? Are you going to say, oh, that's okay? Like, they didn't have the police back there and say, oh, I'm going to call the police on you. No. God told them, you need to go slay these people. You need to stop that. Because, like I said, God cares about the innocent. We see that here. He did care about the innocent. And the verse right before that, it says, Moreover, thou shalt not lie carnally with thy neighbor's wife to defile thyself. And the, and the one right after that, verse 22, Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is abomination. So fornication, adultery, and uh, homosexuality. We see here that th- those were the sins that were lumped in with that. So it's, it's, not, it's not by coincidence that these three verses are here because we see that today. So that's what we have to stand up against. So we see the, the trickle down of abominations and, and adulteries and fornication. It just, the morality just gets lower and lower and lower. It doesn't get better. So we, that's what we have to stop and we have to stand against it. They, they think they're progressive. They're going to make society better. They're, 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 they're being more tolerant. But no, we see the history. We see what happened. We know what's going to happen. We know that God's wrath is what's at the end of it. Now turn over to Exodus chapter 21. So as far as um, whether we should care or not about a baby in the womb, they describe it as a fetus, like trying to, trying to say that it's, it's not human, it's not alive. But here in Exodus chapter 21 we say, And if men strive and hurt a woman with child, so that her fruit depart from her, and yet no mischief follow, he shall be surely punished, according as the woman's husband will lay upon him. And he shall pay as the judges determine. Verse 23. And if, if any mischief follow, then thou shalt give life for life. So we see here that if somebody hurt a woman with child, they were, they were also charged for it. And even in the law today, if you hurt a woman who is pregnant, you are charged with double murder. If the baby's, if she's murdered and the baby's murdered. So they, they are, they are alive. And now, as far as like contradictions, cause you know, they'll, they'll argue against us. You know, you're pro, you're pro-life and what about this? What about that? And they try to do like these type of hypocritical contradictions. Oh, you say this, but you say that. And a lot of them, what I saw too, I was looking up a lot of different things. A lot of comedians are, are out there, you know, uh, championing abortion for abortions and they're, they're, uh, they're, they're political activists. So when did comedians become political activists? And that's, I was kind of shocked by that because it's, it's a lot of it. It's almost like a comedy show. So we're going to make fun of them today. We're going to take that same thing. If they think it's funny to make fun of contradictions, we'll, we'll do the same thing. I know they'll, they'll, they'll look at, if somebody wants to like chop up my sermon and see different things, they're going, oh, you contradict over here and there. Well, that's, that's what they do. They, they just contradict themselves by what they say. And we were joking around the other day about, about the, the stolen election, how nobody cares about it anymore, you know, everybody kind of forgot about it. And, uh, there's actually somebody that does care about it. His name is, uh, Mike Lindell, you know, the My Pillow guy. He's actually still out there still fighting. And one thing that I, that I thought was funny is, uh, Jimmy Kimmel was going after him. So kids pay attention to this. So he took him in there, he was talking to him, he's kind of like making fun of everything he's gone through, all the interviews, everything he's going on. And he brought him on a show, he was interviewing him. And one thing he was doing, it was, it was aggravating, he kept bringing up how, how about crack. Because he used to be addicted to crack, you know, he got his life straightened up, he, he met the Lord, he got saved, and he, he's, he strained his life. But he was making fun of him, and like he just, every other word was like crack, crack, like just trying to throw it out there. So kids, 
Don't don't ever do like don't think that because you did something in the past and you, that's going to be forgotten. We see the world that pushes all this stuff. They say you know what, go be free, do drugs, do this, but they don't forget about it. If you used to do that and you free, they're going to keep bringing that up. So whatever you do in the past, like we see it too with people that like when they're nominated for Supreme Court, nominated, for this, they bring up something they did in the past. So even though God forgave you, you you turn from it. Maybe you're not doing it anymore. God forgave you. It, it will come up again. So think about that whenever you, you think about doing something. You know, I'm just going to do this, and everybody's going to forget about it. Oh, it's no big deal. No, it, eventually it will become a big deal, depending on where you, you choose to take your life. And that's why I am thankful for Pastor and his testimony, because he, he grew up in the church. He was pure. He's never drank. He's never smoked. He's never done any of that. Because I know there are people. I grew up listening to people that they talk about their past. And it's good to overcome sins. And, you know, they have that, that, that person that looks at, you know what, I can overcome that. I can stop smoking. I can stop drinking. But sometimes some people can take it a little too far and kind of be boasting about it to where kids will think, you know, I, I need a testimony. I need to go and do that. But it's good to have people that have never done it. So you can see, you know, it's possible. It's possible to grow up, to never have to do that, and that you're you're never going to be like Mike Lindell to where someone's going to make fun of you because you were addicted to drugs in the past. You're never going to have that. Even though, yes, God can forgive you for that, and you can be clean, but uh, that, that kind of caught my attention. It was... I thought it was, um, I thought it was good. Even though the, he meant it for bad, I saw it as good. To show kids, you know what? Protect yourself. Don't fall into sin. Don't get addicted to any of that stuff. Because it, it will come back to bite you. And, um, you know, some feminists will say, you know what, they don't, um, they don't care about our religious beliefs. They'll say, I don't, I'm, I'm pro-abortion. I don't want to hear anything you say because you only believe it because it's in the Bible. There's that, that, that attack or that, that comment they make. The only thing, you only believe it because it's there. So if the Bible said the sky is purple, you'll believe it because it's in the Bible. But that's, that's wrong. The Bible, what the Bible says is what it's true because it's true, not because it says it on there. So it's, it's, it's erroneous. You know, Romans 121, because of what that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. They professed themselves to be wise and became fools. That's a foolish argument. They say, oh, you only believe it because it's in the Bible. But what's in the Bible is what's truth. We know life is life. Life starts in conception. So let's look at some verses in the Bible. I know it's, it's common sense to, to, on that subject. I never looked it up because to me it seemed simple. You know, it's, it's a baby. It's, it's in the belly. It's, as soon as it, it was conceived, it's, it's alive. But let's look at some verses in the Bible. Go to, um, uh, go to Jeremiah chapter one. That's probably one of the most popular ones. I'll read you a couple other ones. In Genesis 25, 24, and when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. So it, it already acknowledges they are alive. They're, they're, they they already had names too. In Judges 13:7, but he said unto me, Behold, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no drink of wine or strong drink shall either shall eat any unclean thing, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. So with acknowledging this is a person, this is a baby, he's alive, and he already has a purpose from from the womb. So there, Jeremiah 1:5, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee, and before thou camest forth of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee to be a prophet unto the nations. That's one of the most popular verses you'll see cited in a, in a pro-life um, pamphlet or, or to show that, that, that it's, a, it's a human being from the womb. It's God already knew it. Before it was even there, he, God knew about it. But I, I like Jeremiah 20, 17, if you want to turn there. Here in Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 17, it says, Because he slew me not from the womb, or that my mother might have been my grave, and her womb to be always great with me. So it says, I would have died in the womb, saying he's alive. It's, it's, not, it's not a fetus. It's not just a clump of cells. It was alive. It was a human being. 
And another one too in Luke, I'll, I'll just read this for you. Luke one thirty one. Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. And it shall come to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutations of Mary, in verse 41, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. So the babe, it already, it's a baby, and it leaped, it was alive. It wasn't just, just a clump of cells. Another thing, too, that people will look to is they have a lot of their hopes. People that may be pro-life, but they're not, they're not saved, they're not Christians, they, they don't believe in the Bible. They put all their hope in, in politicians, in the Supreme Court. Everyone looks to, everyone looks to them, you know, the Supreme Court doesn't create laws. A lot, a lot of that is, it's, it's, uh, it, it's wrong. Where they look to the Supreme Court as if that's, that's the president, that's the one that's in charge, and that's, that's not a good way to look at it. So Roe versus Wade is something that, that people hold up and say, you know what, they, this is the law, that abortion is legal. Abor- abortion is legal everywhere. You can't tell me nothing about it because of Roe versus Wade. So I'm gonna look at that real quick. I didn't know much, I knew it was about abortion, but I never looked it up. But, it said in um, in their decision, it said, but the court found that there was no indication that the Constitution uses of the word person were meant to include fetuses, and so it rejected Texas' argument that fetus should be considered a person with a legal and constitutional right to life. It noted that there was still a great disagreement over when an unborn fetus becomes a living being. So even back then, they still weren't sure about when. It, it became viable as far as they, they were they were thinking about it. So if, if they didn't know anything about it, they should have just not even mentioned it. Because you, you talk to different people, I hear a lot of different people talking about it, and everybody says different things. Like if you're not really sure, then just don't even talk about it. But why why are we even like arguing about it? Now Roe versus Wade, it didn't establish abortion just for any reason. Because you 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 talk to or you even see like the the feminists and the rallies and everything they say they they want abortions for every reason, just just uh, recreation, just whenever they want it. But that's not what will settle there too. And in Roe versus Wade, it, it did divide it into three different things. It said during the first trimester, when it was believed that the procedure was safer than childbirth, the court ruled that the government could place no restrictions on a woman's ability to choose to abort pregnancy. And then in the second trimester, it said it ruled that the evidence of increasing risk to the mother's health gave the state a compelling interest. And in the third trimester, it was considered to be the point at which the fetus became viable under the medical technology available in the early 1970s. So the court ruled that during the third trimester, the state had compelling interest in protecting prenatal life and could legally prohibit all abortions except were necessary to protect the mother's life and health. So a lot of things that were mentioned is based on the technology they had. So if we're more advanced, if we're talking about progress, learning, we can we know a lot more now. So why would Roe v. Wade not be overturned if that's what they had on there? That it was only the technology they had there. So now in Texas they passed that law. Everybody's freaking out because as soon as they detect a heartbeat, you can't abort it, which is great. You shouldn't be able to abort it at all. And people are going against it. Shouldn't you be for technology for us to be able to see more? And a lot of people will stop having abortions when they see an ultrasound or they see that the baby's suffering, that the baby uh, is it's suffering and it feels pain, and they know it's alive. It's not just just the fetus. Now, if you go and talk to, I, I listen to a lot of stuff online, kind of just looking at everything I could find, and it, the ones that I, I enjoyed were where you, you said they were sitting down with people, you know, that changed my mind, you know, I'm, I'm pro-life, tell me about it, and they, they talked to a lot of different people, and everybody believed different things, but most of them were against partial birth abortion, even though when you look at politicians and the, the, the mainstream, the, the people that come out there, they're for just whatever, all the way up to birth, they're for abortion up to that, even though most people are not for that. So it's kind of misleading to say, oh, I'm pro-abortion, just generalizing everybody, saying, you know, everybody's for abortion all the way up to the up to when it's born, which, which is wrong. Now, the 13th and 14th Amendment are what was cited as far as justification for legalizing abortion. But when you when you look at where that came from, the 13th and 14th Amendment, they were for slavery. They had nothing to do with abortion. 
So I know it's it's almost like how we, we talk about the trendy past where they take the passages out of context, just read things here and there. That that's almost what they did. And one thing that they don't like to, to hear, but the, the original document, the Declaration of Independence, is that we hold these truths to be self evident that all men are created equal and they are endowed by the creator with certain unalienable rights. Because you look at uh, the the other amendments where it says about being being born a citizen, talk about citizenship. Like when you when you're born, you become a citizen. But the found, the other founding document says you are created. When are you created? When you're conceived, right from the beginning. You don't gain rights as soon as you come out of the womb. You're, you're the same person. Because you'll I, I saw videos where you, they'll show people like a prenatal chart showing the different different uh, stages of, of the growth, and they'll ask people, you know, show me when is this alive, or when do you think it's okay to to abort and kill this baby? And people kind of change their perspective when you show them that. Oh, you know, because uh, a nine-month-old baby is pretty much the same thing as when it's born. Eight months, seven months, it's almost the same thing. So to say that this one's not doesn't have any rights, but this one does. Like, why? What's, what's the difference? Because they could be born and they're the exact same person, they're the exact same human being. Now, we're all created equal. It's creation. It's when, when, you were, when you're conceived. So we see that Republicans, they run on pro-life platform, but when have they ever tried to overturn Roe v. Wade? Have they ever done anything about it? Everybody just keeps talking about it, keeps talking about, oh, yeah, this guy's great because he's against abortion, but what is he doing to overturn Roe v. Wade, which is what everybody keeps bringing up? And I, I found an article, too, uh, talking about this hypocritical contradiction. It was by a lady named Phyllis Schlafly. Phyllis Schlafly, uh, she was a Christian. She went out there. She was a, an advocate against, against abortion. She went out and fighting um, for traditional women's roles because the feminists were just out there just wholehearted going against her. And she was one that was actually fighting against them. And she actually won. She actually won a lot of good stuff. But she mentioned how there was a case called Roper versus Simmons. Now, this case... Uh, the Supreme Court upheld, uh, it said upheld an unconstitutional, it was unconstitutional to impose capital punishment for crimes committed while under the age of 18. It was a 5-4 decision that overruled the previous ruling that was Stanford versus Kentucky. And, uh, what, what happened on this sentence is that it was, um, it was in 1993, it was a 17 year old, Christopher Simmons, where he had two other friends that were with him, they were, they were young. And they, they came up with a plan. They, they kidnapped this lady. They murdered her. And then they, they broke into her house. They stole her stuff. And they took her off like a, a, a train, like a, one of those train bridges, and just threw her off. They, they tied her up. Since they, even, they wrapped her whole face in duct tape and just threw her out. These were 17-year-olds. It was just some wicked, wicked crime. And they were found to, to have, like, the death penalty was put on them because of that, the crime was so grievous. But there was a pre- Okay, no. That, that ruling, sorry, I, I mis, misread this. So in that ruling, they said, no, you, you shouldn't be able to just put these kids to death because of that. You should be able to let them, have, let them be able to reform and change, give them a chance. So they overturned a previous ruling, which the previous one was even worse. So in 1981, the ruling that they overturned was, was uh, Stafford versus Kentucky. This guy was, uh, was 17 years old, and he had another friend. They robbed the gas station. They, they raped the worker that was there. They took her somewhere else, and they shot her point black in the face, and they shot her again in the back of the head. And all of this was for what they did is they stole 300 cartons of cigarettes, two gallons of fuel, and a small amount of gas. So these kids were sentenced to death. And then later on, in 1993, with the other case, they said, you know what, no, we're going we're gonna to overrule the other one. So when it came to Roe versus Wade, the comment that they made is that they say that they can't overrule Roe versus Wade because it says that it would uh, it would undermine the court's legitimacy if they overrule it. Because in 1992 they had a chance to overrule it with uh, Planned Parenthood versus Casey. So we see here where they they'll make one 
One judgment for one thing, but not for the other. And it's funny, too, when they think about this contradiction thing, they'll bring up, I'm glad they bring it up, but they'll say, well, how are you pro-life, but then you're uh, pro-capital uh, punishment? Because one's innocent and one's guilty. It's not really, it's not, it's not, that, uh, not that easy. We're not that simple. Like, it's simple. It's not that hard. You think, of, you think of these crimes, and you even look at death row, the people that are on death row that were, that were given the death penalty. I sat down and looked at that one day, and that, that, that really grieves and vexes your soul. You see all these things, these crimes that people have committed, and you see that people, oh, you know what, you should kill this, you make all, all go, all kind of scientific, uh, circular reasoning to say, you know what, this is not alive, we need to kill it because, because of whatever. But then you have people that have committed crimes. They're alive. They, they know what they are. They're grown men. They commit these horrible, wicked crimes. The worst thing you can ever think of. And they sit on death row like they're you, death penalty. But then they sit on there for years. There's, if you go and look at other people that are still there, they've been there for 20, 30 years, just sitting on death row. Just wicked, evil people that deserve to die. But then you want to kill innocent babies for, for no, just for convenience. We're going to look at some statistics because people say, oh, no, it's, they'll say, oh, because of rape. They'll, the first thing they say, oh, because of rape. But then when you look at statistically, it's like barely any... Any people do it because of that. It's all just mainly because of convenience. So they, they're hypocritical in that way. And one of the reasons too here that they, they overturned that, that ruling about the death penalty for, for minors, for people that are 16, 17, 15 that commit these wicked crimes was because, um, their main argument was that in, in, in 1989, seven countries, Iran, Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, Yemen, Nigeria, Congo, and China have banned juvenile capital punishment. So they forced the United States to follow the lead of those seven countries. And Justice Kennedy, Ginsburg, Breyer, Stevens, and, and uh, Souter changed the U.S. law and overturned the laws of uh, 20 states, because it was 20 states where it was legal to, to put to death minors that committed these wicked crimes. So because of countries on the other side of the world, because they, they ruled against it, they changed it, we're going to change it here, even though we know that that's wrong. So they went around the Constitution using other laws. Now, it's, it's funny because they, 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 they put so much on the Supreme Court. They look to the Supreme Court, you know, they're, they're the greatest thing. They're going to save us. They're going to... Laws don't make it right. Just because something is legal doesn't mean it's moral. That's what they get the wrong. So they want to they work so hard to change the law, meaning that that's going to make it right, but it's not. No matter what you do, it's not going to be right. You, you think of, uh, of Nazi Germany. You know, the wickedest, they say it's the wickedest thing that ever happened. Well, didn't they vote for them? Didn't all the people know about it? Wasn't all that legal? Wouldn't that go against your arguments of... Uh, just because it's law, that means it's right. So they, they contradict themselves. And then that, we know that, uh, sorry, I got a little lost here. Now the reasons that, that people, that people bring up as far as why you should have abortions, it says it's, it's not a life, you know, it's not a life till you, you ask different people and they'll say different things. So they don't, they can't even keep their own, their own story straight. Even the politicians, you'll ask them, they, they have no idea. They'll say, oh, because until it, until it's born and it takes its first breath, then it's alive. Like I said, what's the difference between a nine-month-old, eight-month-old, and then a newborn? They're the exact same thing. Some will say because um, it's, it's the woman and her doctor should be able to talk about it. You know, just because the Supreme Court says it doesn't mean anything. And they'll say, you know, if, if it's not a law, then people are going to die in the alleys. They're going to go back to the, the, the back, back alley abortions, you know. The, but they're also talking about the comments. Somebody said, I'm going to have to go get my... Um, my, uh, my, my hooks and metal, just all these things, homemade things to, to, to do that. Nobody's gonna do that. There's a, I didn't get the statistic, but it, there's a, they tracked how many people died. Before it was legal, it wasn't a lot of people. As far as like legal abortions versus illegal abortions, it wasn't, it wasn't a big number. 
So it's estimated that about 3,000 abortions per day. That's, that's a lot. That's a lot of abortions. And the main thing that people bring up is we need abortion because what about rape and incest? But if 3,000 women are being raped every day, we have bigger problems than, than, than abortion, right? There, there's, so that's, that doesn't, that doesn't fit. There was a, there was a survey in 2004. It was anonymous. It was about 1,200 abortions or post-abortions and 957 people answered. Now 76% of, of these surveys, the answers, had nothing to do with health. It all had to do with, you know, I'm not ready for a child. Uh, I'm done having children. I can't afford a baby. Um, I'm not mature enough to raise a child. I would intervene with my education. That's, that's probably one of the ones that people bring, you know, my physical health, fetal, fetal, uh, my fetal health problems. It was less than half percent of, of these surveys that were actually victims of rape. So it's, if it's that low, it shouldn't even be something to bring up. It shouldn't be something that's even entertained. So we see most of it is just convenience. You know, I, I don't want it. I'm not financially stable. But for us that have had kids, you're never really financially stable unless you're super wealthy. Like it's, it's never, you're never going to be the ideal of, or right, I'm going to have kids. You just, if you have kids, you want kids. You just have them. And it's good that now they're, they're bringing that up again. So I was glad that I wanted to preach the sermon and now it's going to be on people's minds because the Supreme Court is going to take up another, another case against, uh, against Mississippi. Because they have a law that they're going to prohibit any abortions after the 15th week, which is a, another, it's a good step, but they should just get rid of it, all of it, just in general. Now there's a term too that you hear that it's pretty annoying. I think we need to get rid of that term. It's called unplanned pregnancy. Oh, it's unplanned. Like it's, it's pretty ironic. It, you just even hear it. Like you know when you're going to get pregnant. It's, it's, it's not a, it's not a mystery. I, I thought about titling uh, the sermon, a nice clickbait sermon was going to be, God loves me. He loves you. I'm pro-choice and you should too. That's what I wanted to title the sermon, just to have a clickbait title. Because we are pro-choice. Like, when you think about it, yeah, we, we are pro-choice. Women should have a child. Oh, I, the woman shouldn't be forced to have a child. Yeah, we, you shouldn't be forced to have a child. You have the choice to not have sex. That's your choice. You chose that. Like, it wasn't, like, m- babies don't just mysteriously appear, appear in your belly. Everyone has that. And they talk about it. Uh, abortion restriction targets poor women only. So you only want poor people to die? So you were promoting abortion because we want more poor kids to die? Now, it, I like this, uh, the way somebody said it. It says, when, you, when you, um, you enter into a social contract when you choose to have sex, the consequences uh, it might be procreation. Like You know what it is. You know what's going to happen. It's not a mystery. You know what's going to happen. There's, a, there's an analogy that, 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 was, that people said it promoted. It didn't really make any sense to me. I'm going to read it for you. And it's called the, the, the violinist analogy is a defense of abortion. This is what they use to defend, you know, we should have abortion or why it's, why it's right to do that. It said, um, in their zeal to save this violinist, uh, they find some random woman who happens to be, uh, there's a violinist that, that's gonna die. And they find a woman that's the only person in the world that's gonna, the right blood type. And as she sleeps in the bed, they hook her up to the violinist. The woman wakes up to find herself strapped down to the bed and attached as a form of life support to a complete stranger, essentially a, a human parasite lying next to her. Unless she severs the tubes, she can't move or go anywhere indefinitely, force her to have an energy siphoned by the parasite. Most people's correct reaction is that the woman has the right to free herself of the violinist, even though she knows that that its, its will will result in his death. That's a pretty dumb analogy when you think about it. Like, oh, it's... So there's another response that came up to the, the responsibility... Of, um, of objection. So, the way, 
I found is a good way to explain it is uh, when the castle doctrine. I don't familiar with gun laws, the castle doctrine, stand your ground. You know, if somebody breaks into your house, you have the right to defend yourself and, and, and kill them. Now, I can't invite somebody in my house. You know, I don't want you in my house and just shoot you. Like, that's not going to protect me from that law. Or, or another, or a better one is if I invite you, let's go fishing. Come on my boat. Like, I invited you in, the, in this boat. And then we get out in the middle of the lake. You know what? I don't want you here anymore. Get off my boat. Like, he has no way to get off that boat. So in the same way, this baby didn't choose to be in your belly. Like you invited it there. Like it didn't have a choice to be there. So that that doesn't make any sense. You can't say it's a parasite because it's there because of your choice. Your choice has created that baby in there to be conceived in your belly. So you do have a choice. Just don't fornicate. Don't commit adultery. Now, Planned Parenthood. We know Planned Parenthood is out there. You know they they, they receive a lot of money to to do that. And there was a lady talked about how only only women can talk about it. You're a man, you have nothing to say about about women. So then why don't any why doesn't anybody listen to Abby Johnson? There's a lady that's out there. She's pro, she's pro life. She's out there fighting them. They want nothing to do with her. Well, she's a woman. That's what you say, right? Only women can talk about it. She worked eight years in Planned Parenthood, and now she has eight kids, and she's out there fighting. And and uh, what I thought was sad is uh she she was raised a uh, Southern Baptist, and then she. She got into that work with Planned Parenthood, so they, they didn't want her there because they're, they're against what she was doing. So then she changed, she changed what she was doing. She went to a more liberal church that was accepting to abortion. You know, there's, uh, there's, uh, denominations and churches that they do promote that, which is wicked. You, you believe the Bible, you read the Bible, how can you promote abortion? So she went to one of those churches, then she changed her stance. So she, the way she, she saw the truth was she went, uh, to perform an, to, she was helping someone perform an abortion, and it was an ultrasound guided abortion, so she was able to see the baby. She saw the actual operation. We see a lot of people, they have opinions. So they'll say, you know, you're, you're a man. You don't know what it's like to, to carry a baby. Yeah, that's right. I don't. But the same thing, these people that are for abortion, you don't know what the precision is like. Go look up what happens. A lot of people change their mind when they go and they see. Like now you have to have an ultrasound and you can see the baby there. You see what happens. You see, uh, like when they suck the baby out, they have the body parts. Like go witness that. Like don't, don't say that you're, you're for it if you've never seen it. In the same way you're going to say to me, I can't say it because I, I have, I don't have a womb. I can't carry a baby. So she saw that and she changed her stance. And then now she was against abortion and the denomination she was part of, they, they weren't for that. So then she became a Roman Catholic. And that's pretty sad that she would end up there. I hope somebody reached out to her, preached the gospel and kind of showed her the way because she's, she's doing a lot of good things and uh, making a lot of, a lot of feminazis pretty mad. Now, in 2018 was the most recent uh, statistic I could find as far as how many abortions. It was 60, 619,000. It's about 1,697 a day. And when you talk about science, you know, we're, we're, we're progressive, we're more advanced, we, we believe in science. They'll say, you, you believe in the Bible, you don't believe in science. Well, there was a survey done as far as uh, from different biology departments throughout the world. And the study found that 96% of them believe that life began at, con- at conception. That's like we're not for a majority, like because the majority believe this, we believe it. But they're for that, and this is these these were liberal um, biologists, and they all believe that life began at conception. So you want to believe the science? You're big about science, but why don't you believe that? Like why is that not something that's that put out there? So they're 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 obviously hiding it for a reason. Said it was over a thousand institutions throughout the world. It was ninety six percent. It was five thousand three hundred thirty seven biologists. That, that's a lot of biologists. So if you're for science and you, you see this, I mean, it's pretty convincing. And one person that, that people, uh, that people bring up as being a champion for feminist rights and, you know, against the, against the traditional form of, of, of marriage is Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And so one person that, 
like I talked about, Phyllis, I mentioned that, that article from Phyllis Lafley. She actually was one that was going against her. And then she, I saw an article where she talked about the things that she'd done. She was not a good person. Everything she did, you know, she, she, she was for, women, for women's rights. She was, um, some of the wicked things that she was for that she did was for the lowering the age of consent to 12. So you want to talk about, you can't kill a 17-year-old, 16-year-old that commits wicked crimes, but then you're going to be for reducing the age of consent. That doesn't make any sense. Like Those are two contradicting things there. She wanted the integration of fraternities and sororities. She was always for, she said, you know, women's rights, equality, men being the same as women. But we know that that's not, that's not true. Same thing. You believe in science. Like, you just look at science. And men and women are not the same. But they want everything to be exactly the same. One thing that, that people saw and that people fought was that they wanted women to be part of the draft. They wanted women to be able to draft. You know, yeah, they should be able to fight with men. But that, like we, as a man, you know that your main priority is protecting women and children. Like, why would you want to put a woman out there in the middle of the field? You know, physically they're not the same, and it's it's putting them in a in a, in a bad situation. She also fought against laws that prohibited polygamy. So she was saying that it was it should be counted as a, as a private or a, a private thing. So she was for polygamy. She was a radical feminist. You now she said that we need to remove the concept of the husband being the breadwinner. And, and the wife being a homemaker. That's something that should be eliminated in the code, in the, in, in the constitution, in the government. She wanted the government to support child care. So you're, you're against the man who should be able to provide for a family, but you're not against that concept because you want the government to provide for him. So it's, it's not that you're against that because that you want to switch it all to the government. All of it is just for, for a, a bigger government. And, uh, she wanted the, the words, men, women, all the different pronouns to be removed. And, uh, she wanted the tax funded abortions to be a constitutional right. There's nothing in the Constitution that, that would even remotely be for that, for us paying for that. I don't want my money going and paying for abortions. You talk about pro-choice, well, that's my choice. I don't, I don't want my money to be going for that. Now, she, she says she, she's for equality, but then when they ask her, you know, how, how, many, how many women do you want to see in the Supreme Court? She said nine of them, all of them. So we want to be equal, but then we want the whole Supreme Court to be full of, full of women. That doesn't make any sense. So one, one article, I mentioned it before, but it was, it, I thought it was funny because they, I, I talk about, you know, we read this passage about shedding innocent blood. These people were giving their children as a sacrifice to Molech, to Satan. So, you know, I'm not sacrificing my kids to Satan by having a, an abortion. They, they, they say they're not, and I, I believe it. Most people don't think that, you know, I'm going to go and do the satanic ritual. But it was funny that this article popped up when, when Ruth Bader Ginsburg died. Uh, this lady came up saying that because she felt threatened, that now they were going to overturn Roe v. Wade. Now they're going to get rid of women's health. So she turned to Satan. She became a Satanist. Like, I, thought, I thought it was funny. Like It said, I, I fear that American citizens are inching closer to living in a theocracy or, and, or dictatorship and that the checks meant to prevent this from happening are close to eroding. I knew immediately that action was needed on a scale that we have not seen before. So it, her civil reproductive rights are in danger. That's another word too, reproductive rights. You're not reproducing anything, so why would you call it reproductive rights? It should be murder rights that you want, murder rights, not reproductive. It says their ability to live in a country where their religious beliefs of others would not play a role in their right to assert autonomy over their own bodies was suddenly and sharply in danger. So she turned to the temple of Satan. That, that was her response. That was her, her way of fixing it, you know, Satanism. And we see that, too, because the Temple of Satan actually fights for abortion. They're out there using their money. They were the ones that, that put that statue of Baphomet with two kids on each side. Uh, I believe it was in, I forgot what capital they, they put that on. But it, it's wicked. Like, they say, no, we don't believe in God. We don't believe in the Bible. We don't want nothing to do with that. 
but then you believe in Satan, you believe in all these things, it doesn't make any sense. You either believe in one or the other. You can't, you can't, you can't have both ways. Now, one thing I thought was, uh, was, was funny is when Ginsburg, when she, when she graduated from college, here's another thing too, is, is with them, both of them. So, you can't be a wife, you can't have kids and have an education at the same time. But the poster child for that was Ruth Bader Ginsburg, where she actually did that. She was married, she had kids, she went through college, which is something that's impossible, but she actually did it. It was the same thing with Phyllis Schlafly. She, she had a career, she had... So all these things, they, they, they're not possible, but then we have these women that actually went out and did it. So it, it, it goes against them. But she said the, 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 the first reason she mentioned for not being able to get a job after she graduated uh, university was because she was Jewish. So another another word that, that we should get our vocabulary, we talked about um, unplanned or pregnancy, anti-Semitism. Especially being a Christian, you should you should never even use that word. Because like if you believe the Bible, you see the Bible, why would you like that doesn't make any sense. When you look and study where that came from, a lot of people go back to to where G, where the they say the Jews killed Jesus. But when you read the New Testament, that's what happened. So how can you use that term, like, oh, anti-Semitism? Well, that's, they say that that's not that what happened when it did happen. You know, you're xenophobic. You know, you're afraid of strangers, afraid of foreigners. I'm not afraid of strangers or foreigners. I like different cultures and different things. Like we, we embrace that. We, we look at, we know you want Mexican tacos. You go to Mexican restaurants, Chinese food. We, we embrace differences. You can't, you can't just put that label on us. Now, in Matthew 27, so when they say, you know what, uh, the Jews didn't kill Jesus. But what Jesus said is, in Matthew 27, 23, 24, and 25, it said, And the governor said, Why, what evil have he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. Let Jesus be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. I see yet to it. And then verse 25, Then answered all the multitude people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Isn't that pretty clear right there? They, they're putting a curse on themselves because they want Jesus to die. This was the Jews. The oh, you're anti-Semitic. That's what the Bible says. And that, that doesn't really apply. And I, I thought, too, thinking about these contradictions, you know, this, this, these, uh, this way they, people t- they twist their words. So uh, what about our Jewish pastor, Stephen Anderson? He was, he, was banned. he was banned from 34 countries. So shouldn't he have his own term because the Jews were banned for all these countries? Oh, they're anti-Semitic. Well, what about him? He was banned for all these countries. Should we have a term that, for them persecuting him? And another another woman, a uh, woman that they they don't like, and this she's actually a Jew. So people say, you know what, you, you know you're anti-Semitic. You're bringing up all these all these Jews that are responsible for all these wicked things. Well, that's that's what happens. Like you look at all these things, especially abortion. I'm gonna get to this article about who started the this thing about abortion. Who was influencing this? Now Judith Reisman, she's a Jew, but the thing is, she they don't like her because she says that homosexuals are pedophiles. She said that all porn is gay porn. So she makes comments like this. Like, well, if you want to take the stigma of, oh, Jews are only responsible for wicked things, well, then promote her. But now they won't do that. So when I was looking at different articles about Phyllis Schlafly, and this is one that came up, because she died not too, not too long ago after she got the vaccine. That's just a conspiracy theory, though. And um, we see in this, um, in this chapter that, he, that Manasseh shed innocent blood. Now, Manasseh was a Jew, the kingdom of Judah. Like, so all your answers, no, the, the whole Bible, this, this is a Jewish book. There's Jews everywhere. You can't say we hate Jews. Like, that, that's what this is. Now, they didn't, turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 28. In Jeremiah 15, verse 4, I'll read that while you turn there, Deuteronomy 28. In Jeremiah 15, 4, it says, And I will cause them to be removed into all kingdoms of the earth, 
because of Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, king of Judah, for that which he did in Jerusalem. So it restates, reemphasizes that because of Manasseh is the reason that the nation was destroyed, because the, the nation was taken into captivity was because of Manasseh. Now, in Deuteronomy 28, we see that God put something forth for them. He, he gave them, there was a condition to why they were going to be blessed. There was a condition. It says, but it shall come to pass, verse number 15, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe to do all these commandments and his statutes which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. And verse 25, The Lord shall cause thee to be smitten before thine enemies. Thou shalt go out in one way against them, and flee seven ways before them, and shall be removed into all the kingdoms of the earth. So when you say, you know, it's, it's anti-Semitic to talk about how they were kicked out of countries. Well, the Bible says here in the Torah that if they didn't keep his commandments, there were going to be consequences. They were going to be persecuted. They were supposed to do that. So when you disobey his commandments, what do you think is going to happen? Now, allegedly, they say that in the Talmud, which a lot of the, the current Judaism, the current religion of Judaism, they, they, don't, they follow more the Talmud than do the Torah. But it says that they have a deeper explanation of the laws in the Torah. So Leviticus 18 is pretty long, and it's pretty clear in what it says. So the Talmud has even more than that. Like that's, that's a lot. And you're responsible for that. Like, you, if you're studying it and you're getting a deeper understanding of it, you think you would know more and be more for morality, for 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 uh, just having a more moral society. And then you see Deuteronomy 28. It was pretty clear that you were supposed to keep the commandments, and if you didn't, you were going to be persecuted. You're going to suffer. So the Talmud has even more than that. That's that's pretty. That's a pretty pretty high bar to to, to be. It's a pretty high standard. So because the people that were People who are Jewish are promoting the immorality. So that's, that's not our fault that that's who it was. And then they were even hiding it sometimes. So there was a, there's a book, you know, what happened to a tradition? You know, the filler, filler on the roof. Why are you against tradition? I thought you were for tradition for, for a father, a woman, children. My wife was watching it uh, a couple days ago, so. I thought, you know, the Jewish tradition, you know, that's what the Bible says, you know, father, mother, child. But then all these people, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, she's a Jew, she's going completely against us. She's fighting the tradition that they were supposedly be, be, be holding in, in high esteem. So they should be champions of morality given Leviticus 18, Deuteronomy 20. You'd think that we'd be promoting morality, but then they want to call people and submit it because they bring up what, what they're doing, what they're promoting. So this article is called, or it's a, it's a book, it's called When Abortion Was a Crime. And it read, in 1933, there was two radical physicians published the books favoring the decriminalization of abortion in the United States. It says here, both of them were uh, Dr. William Ro J. Robinson and Dr. J. Rangi, and they were Jewish immigrants from Russia who were active in political, radical cycle circles, as well as the members of mainstream medical organizations. So we see that over in, in the beginning of the people that were fighting for abortion being legalized, they were Jewish people from, from Russia. So it's not us making it up. That's, that's what it is. That's what, that's what it says here. And then the Soviet Union, you know, we see the, the Jewish Bolshevik Marxist revolution that happened in, 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 in Russia. The first thing they did was abortion. Like right away, as soon as they took over, they took power, it was abortion that, that was, that was said. It, it was, uh, they said almost one out of every eight women was having an abortion back then. And even today, when you look up, I didn't write down the actual statistics, but the nation that, that has the most abortions is Russia. And I'm sure that's from the Soviet Union. There's a lingering effects from that. So you think of people that are champion. You know, we need more abortions in America. But then I thought Russia was bad. I thought Putin was bad. Why do we want to be like them? You know, we talk about other nations and not being like them. Well, why do we want to be like Russia? 
And there was a there was a lawyer too when when we talked about that that uh, that fight about capital punishment. There was a prominent lawyer in the Stanford versus Kentucky case that he he actually went against them, and he was a Jewish lawyer. Like like you think if if you're a Jew if you want to be base your religion off the Torah, we see it here. That's that's bad. We see what happened in Judah from a Jewish king that killed innocent children. Like we know the the effects of that, and knowing that, you would think, you know what, I don't want nothing to do with it. But no, they still promote wickedness, they still promote immorality, and we 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 reap the benefits of that because it's 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 bad. It's it's nothing good with that. So this guy, and he didn't have a very good track record. He he defended Trump in the first impeachment trial. He also defended Harvey Weinstein. You know that guy was a was a wicked a wicked guy, and then he was also a member of the defense team for Jeffrey Epstein. And both of them, like that's that's horrible right there. Why would you defend that? That's that's nothing to be defended. So when you when you compromise morally, you don't know how low society is going to get. We can't compromise. We have to we have to stand in the gap. We have to fight it hard, even though they, they put these labels on you, they they put all these names on you, they call you names. But no, we, it's worth it because they're innocent lives, and we know the consequences are horrible. And uh, thinking about how society is stoops lower and lower. I don't know why I keep getting uh, get these uh, videos from Houston, but this this thing uh, was horrible. It said that this this week an officer committed suicide, and before he committed suicide, he confessed to having abused children with two of his female coworkers. Now that's that's horrible. That's wicked, and that's happening here in the nation. You think of all these wicked things happening. Look, what's going to happen? We see here in Second Kings twenty one what happened with the immorality, with the wicked things. God said, "I'm going to destroy the nation." And there was no changing it. And, and, and um, there's people that actually believe that, that abortion is, is, uh, is sanctioned in the Bible. And one of the verses, turn over to Luke chapter, Luke chapter 1. I'll just read this real quick. But I thought, I thought this was funny. But to think that the Bible would endorse abortion, it's, it doesn't make any sense. It said in verse 138, it says, And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord. This is after the angel was talking to her. Be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. You see right there, be it unto me according to the word she gave consent to having, having the baby. That's, that's wicked. That's, that's not what she was saying there. And so they'll use this to justify. You know what? You should have a choice. Now turn over to Second Chronicles chapter 34. So with all that being said, let's get back to kind of where we were at in the story. So we know America today is in a bad place with all the wicked things, abortion and everything that leads on. It doesn't just stop in abortion. So we know we're against abortion, but not just because we're against that act, but we know it, it leads to other things with all the things that were going on, all the, the ideas that, that were brought upon this nation, um, even through like the Frankfurt School critical theory and all these things that people are pushing now. It's, it's more to take the morality out of the country. These people are attacking America to change it. When it was already, it had a good foundation. Everybody wasn't good, but it was founded on the Bible, founded on good things, good principles. You know, a man taking care of the woman and having children, that's, that's, that's tradition, that's good, that's from the Bible, and that's how society flourishes. Now, there is a chance, like just because if somebody has an abortion doesn't mean you're just automatically gonna, gonna be damned. But in 2 Chronicles 34 verse 31, when Josiah, when they found the book of the law, it says, Go inquire the Lord for me and for them that, that are left in Israel and Judah, concerning the words of the book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord upon that is poured upon us, because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord, and to do after all that is written in this book. 
Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring evil upon this place, and upon the inhabitants thereof, and all the curses, verse 24, and all the curses that are written in the book which they have read before the king of Judah. So they knew that there was curses coming. They knew there was, there was uh, wrath coming upon them because of what Manasseh had done. But the Lord told him here in verse 27. So the wrath wasn't going to be stopped. God said, I'm not going to change my mind. It was, they were so wicked that they did, it was, they did even worse things than the heathen. And he said, because thine heart was tender, and thou didst humble thyself before God, when thou heardest his words against this place and against the inhabitants thereof, and humblest thyself before me, and didst rend thy clothes and weep before me, I have even heard thee also, saith the Lord. Behold, I will gather thee to thy fathers, and thou shalt be gathered to thy grave in peace. Neither shall thy heart see all evil that I will bring upon this place and upon the inhabitants of the same. So they brought the king the word again. So, even though I, I would hope that we could change the nation, we could just change everything around, go around, and it, it's hopeful to be that way, but at the very least, we can be there like Josiah. At least our family, our people, our church will be safe from that. We know that if this is the last hurrah, if we're done, we are going to be, we are going to be safe from the wrath of God. But if it's not, as long as we keep fighting, keep promoting uh, morality, justice, the Bible, you know, having a good family, we can be spared from the wrath of God, just like Josiah was here. So God forgave Manasseh. We see that in Second Chronicles that he actually repented from what he did, even though there was no changing God's plans for the, the punishment for that wicked crime of sacrificing the children to Molech. He still forgave Manasseh because he humbled himself. And then he forgave Josiah, even though, it did, like I said, it didn't stop it. So God can forgive a woman, even though they committed an abortion, even though they don't know things. God can forgive that. But as far as like the country, it, there's a lot of blood. You think 3,000 children a day, that, that's, a lot of, that's a lot of blood. So there is a lot of blood in the, in, in the country of America. But at least we can see, we can hope that People will see the truth. And one thing, too, is as far as like talking to people, I know a lot of times people get pretty heated when you talk about abortion. One thing that I saw as far as all these videos I was watching and talking to people, I started talking to people, too, about it, just hearing them, just asking them, you know, what do you think about it? Just kind of how we go sowing, or you go sowing, and you ask, you know, what do you believe, what church do you go to? With a humble spirit, you know, you actually want to know. You actually care about them. So if you care about people, when you're talking about this subject, you can maybe change some hearts. You know, tell me, what do you believe in? Why do you believe it? Because a lot of people have no idea. They're, they're told you're supposed to be pro, pro-choice. You're supposed to do this, but they have, they have no idea what they have. So if knowing all these things and kind of seeing what, what the truth is, maybe you can change some hearts. Like, first of all, it's obviously giving them the gospel, getting them saved, because we know that's, that's the main thing, because they, we want them to go to heaven. But if they do have these beliefs of being pro-abortion, because that's what they're told in the school, public school system, then we can, we can hopefully change their mind on that. So with that, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the blessing that we have, brethren, that, that are like-minded, that we, uh, that we have a church that preaches the Bible, preaches the truth, and that we're able to, to fellowship. We pray that you'd be able to help us to be an influence to, to society, help us be an influence to people that, that don't know the truth, that don't understand. Help us to be a light, to promote uh, a good way of living, a good moral way, and, and be able to, to promote more families and, and know that that's not a bad thing. Families are good. And we have here some families that are good examples. And we thank you for them. We thank you for everything you do in our lives, Lord. Amen.